This is the second six of not interviews with writers, more conversations and trying to listen as carefully as I can to what another writer is saying. It's been a tremendous experience for me because I've been deeply moved constantly with each writer by their willingness to try and answer almost anything you ask. Even if there are no definitive answers, the joy has been in the act of almost reaching a solution and an answer to this mystery of writing. Today I'm talking to Claire Louise Bennett, who is deceptively, you would think, easy to introduce, as she has only one book to her name so far. It's called Pond, published by Fitzcarraldo. But it is, as it happens, a, a book that seems to contain other volumes condensed into it. There's something very remarkable about this writer in that there's no category you're going to put her into. I mean, you could say there's a distant cousinship to Beckett here, maybe even Sir Thomas Brown, but I think you'd just be grasping for fathers in that respect. She's very much sui generis, her own thing. And I think everything in this book has been tested, uh, not only by life, and it's very much about life, and, and very, very ordinary life in places. I mean, exceptionally ordinary, if there's such a thing but also by this innate gift. It's, um, I suppose, all the writers I've spoken to have to be born with this curious, sometimes inconvenient quality. And you'd think it's a quality that would create homogeneity, but actually it really implies a sort of exceptional state of being. And it's, that's why I'm just really excited to talk to her. Uh, she's originally from Wilshire, um, but has been in Ireland for 20 years and is committed to being here. And she has brought something um, magical to the story of Irish literature. Claire Louise Bennett. Claire Louise, we've never met, I think. You could correct me on that, but no, I don't think we have. So, in a way, it is outrageous that two people, just because they're writers... Mm -hmm. can come together and talk about, try to talk about something that might be the most important thing of all to them. Which in this instance is the question, what the hell or heaven are we doing? When I was made um, laureate accidentally a couple of years ago, laureate for Irish fiction, well, Irish is an adjective you could give 10,000 meanings to and not, never finish, so we'll leave that aside. Mm -hmm. But then fiction. I've been supposedly writing it for 40 years and talking about it. But ultimately, I don't really know what it's for. I can, uh, I can console myself uh, for my ignorance with thinking about the 200,000 years that we are as a creature, which is a very short time. Um, but even in the two years where I have been laureate, this whole question has been immensely vexed because I used to think maybe stories, and let's not even say writing because the writing is even more recent, storytelling created in some way the possibility of civilization or other arts or being a group of people in a city. Or Now we know that this is possibly 
the most heinous thing of all, if we consider global warming, all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. So maybe we've contributed or are contributing to something that ultimately is not a good. <laughs> Terrifying. But, and, and some people I've spoken to hitherto have been properly reluctant to answer any question like this because maybe we prefer to be somewhere, somewhat in the dark about our procedure or what we think we might be doing. But do you have any suspicion, even unspoken, which would be complicated in this, <laughs> uh, about what, you know, why you're a writer, but what is the purpose of this activity, this mm. mysterious thing? Um. Well, I think, I suppose I think about my own beginnings, mm. where, where and when that it started, um, which would have been, I think I was pretty young. Mm. I think I was, I was certainly still at school. Mm. Um, so actually I wrote for quite a long time before I was then um, a published writer. Mm. And... Um, Sort of professionalizing it does does actually make quite quite a lot of difference actually to your yeah. relationship to my relationship to it mm. certainly um, and it's taken me some sort of time to kind of wind down actually from from um, what the professionalizing of it kind of did I suppose mm. um, to that dynamic to that to that work mm. um, and the way that I I experienced it. Um, so when it when it began, um, I I'm not really much of a storyteller to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, it was more some of the stuff when I look back, I've kept quite a bit not from that age, but certainly from a younger age, I have materials. So I have quite a big trunk with pages and pages and mm. pages in it, um, and they're handwritten and they're kind of loose and not in any order really it's mm. kind of a bit of a nightmare it's a mess and mm. it kind of freaks me out a bit it's called your archive amazingly <laughs> I suppose so or as the eight said the contents of my rubbish bin it just feels like a dead body it's a dead body and when I moved um, last time I moved the guy helping me asked me he said what's in here a dead body and I said yeah kind of yeah <laughs> um, so the stuff in there a lot of it, it it's um, I find it kind of quite incomprehensible I don't understand it it doesn't make a lot of sense mm. um, I'm not quite sure what was going on and, and I think god was I very I well, what was I at what was I doing there was it's not it's not particularly clear um, so my my first I suppose forays into to language um, doesn't seem to be about necessarily telling stories or making things clearer if anything mm. it seemed to be about um, getting close to sort of maybe things not being clear, a sort of chaos mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. And then I, I seem to like certain words and just writing certain words like over and over again because I like, and I was thinking about, there's a Spanish um, phrase, and I'm not going to say it in Spanish because I probably won't say it quite right, but it, it means to kind of knock on the instrument of the word. Mm. And that opens up a mm. kind of a pathway. Mm. And I think that that was really what I was kind of doing. That was my relationship 
to language. I, I kind of almost thought weirdly that it had an, an ability to bring you into proximity of the ineffable, mm. I suppose. Why? You see, I know why that's important, but why is it important? I know it is important, but why is it important? So, I suppose so we can for you. Where, for what? So I, I feel like I can, I suppose, participate in the world soul or something. Ah. That kind of thing. You know, it, it takes you beyond. And do you think it's, do you think it is high wire? Do you, I mean, I often wonder is, you know, when John Banville won the Booker in 2005, he said, rather, uh, uh, annoyingly to some and maybe magnificently to others. It's nice to see a work of art winning the Booker, he said. <laughs> Which is very mischievous. Yeah. In this moment of triumph, British triumph, you could say. But um, I, I don't know, I'm a bit suspicious about art, you know, work of art. Isn't it more likely in its, because of it, this, what, what you're talking about, to be closer to the the ineffable, that's a kind of a low purpose in a way, in a good way. Mm -hmm. Do you know, do we need to dress it up? This is the Museum of Literature where we're sitting. Which is I'm sure bad. the amazing people who put it together were aware of the contradiction between museum and literature. Okay. Pound said literature is news that stays news, which is probably, but news is newsprint, isn't news is a low, uh, journalism let us call it a low art. Are we allowed to think of it as something uh, not grand. I mean, for you, does, when you come closer to the ineffable, as you say, does it make you feel magnificent or grand, or does it make you feel like you're surviving? Well, that's an interesting question. Well, I don't know whether it makes me feel... I think it kind of tra maybe transcends those sort of almost local sensations in a way. Hmm. I think it just makes me feel... Um, it, it, it enables me to experience a sense of self in quite a different sort of way, I suppose. And I, I think a thought that I, I returned to that resonated with me when I first read it some years ago was something Thomas Mann asked. And he said, is man's self um, restricted to and um, tightly sealed within his fleshly ephemeral boundaries? Don't many of his constituent parts come from the universe outside and previous to him? And I just love that. And I've written mm. that over and over again so many times because mm. it just... And that's, that's how I feel. I feel that loosening of my fleshly ephemeral boundary, I suppose. Mm. And just a sense of participating in, in something much broader and, mm. I guess, yeah, deeper. Sometimes it's, it's a deep, murky, catonic almost experience. And, and other times it can be quite... Um, mm. Uh, you know, euphoric or, yeah, or, bright, or brighter, you know. And that's, I mean, that's the wonderful thing about it, is I think, for me, listening to stories when I was younger, which, I, and I never found listening to stories particularly comforting mm. when I was a child at all. I know mm. some people kind of refer to that as, as something that they did take comfort from, but I always found stories sort of a bit, well, yeah, destabilising in a way mm. as a child. Alarming. Yeah, alarming, mm. and but they kind of brought you to, to the sort of the, the cusp of your own world, mm. you know. That's what was alarming about them, yeah. maybe. Yeah, and so, the way I think that the light and dark could interplay mm. so wonderfully in a story, you know. Yeah, because you're, you're, well, Pond is made out of these seemingly discrete stories, but obviously the whole thing makes a, 
a universe, for want of a better yeah. word, which you've hammered out of that body in the trunk. Yeah, I feel like Is Dr. It? Frankenstein in, yeah. it, in a way. You've, made, you've put the electricity into it. Mm. And, and you really, really have. Uh, and that's what's so remarkable about it. It's hard to work out what the connections are between things, you know, to get so that it becomes vilified. That's what I'm kind of dealing with at the moment. Well, why shouldn't that be hard? I mean, if we have mm. 10 million synapses in our brains, mm. we're all the time trying to work out connections. And that, that is the, the hardest thing of mm. all to do. And as I'd say for you in particular, you say um, you've been writing a long time and you, you didn't put a date, a, an age on your beginning. Mm. But could you have begun as early as four or five, do you think? No. Before writing itself? I don't know. Were you good at school? Could you read and write and all yeah. that? You could yeah. do all that? Yeah. Mm. I didn't go to a very good school though. Ah. No. Not really. Is this Wilshire? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there was, a bit of, there was quite a bit of messing about. So weirdly, we did, I, don't, I was thinking about this the other day. I don't really think that we did, I can't remember looking at kind of classics and stuff all at right. school. Because then when I got to do A-levels, it was all quite sort of new to me. Mm. And I realised from other people kind of, we come from different colleges, you know, mm. to do A-levels. Mm. Um, maybe it's slightly different here. So they, they, yeah, I was aware then of what other people had been doing at different schools and I thought, oh wow, <laughs> my school wasn't so good, was it? So I had quite yeah. a bit of stuff, you know, that I just hadn't been exposed to or had really encountered before. And that, so that was wonderful. And I was thinking about, you know, the excitement that you feel when you discover mm. like real books and you read them for the first but time. But in a good, in a, in a strange way, it was probably quite good that they only gave you a thimble you think of, so? Well, then when you got the whole yeah. dinner, as it were, yeah. you had the hunger for it. Yeah. I remember kind of having a sense that there were other sorts of books, because we used to go to the library quite a bit, oh. and I used to get crap, you know, like Jackie Collins and stuff like that. Yeah. And I kind of then began... Wilbur Smith. ...began to get the Sidney Sheldon. <laughs> Are <laughs> you? <was> great. <laughs> I love those. And, um, and then I, I don't know where it came from, but I thought... Oh, because they look a certain way, don't they? Literature books, they have a certain kind of, you know... Museum? Yeah, it? they look, you know, the penguin kind of... I know. So I thought, oh, I wonder, I wonder what, you know, they are. They're all the people who aren't smiling in their photographs. Yeah, they are, they're looking very... Mm. Um, I, one of the first very serious books I read was The Tin Drum by Gunter Grass. Wow. Well, I don't know why I chose that. Good, good but I, I just, Yeah. Is there anything in it that will be forever Wilshire in your work? Yeah, I guess so. What's your suspicion? You think yeah, so? Oh, yeah. lovely. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, and I've been thinking about that quite a bit recently. It's yeah. about childhood, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I have been, yeah. because you do, inevitably, at some point in your life, you know, as you get older, you do. Um, and I've been kind of working on a piece at the moment, a long essay, on an artist called Dorothea Tanning. She's a kind of a, she's thought of as a surrealist artist. Mm -hmm. And certainly some of her work does have sort of um, characteristics of, of that tradition, mm. which was married to Max Ernst for a long time, so that kind of reinforces that sense of her as being mm -hmm. part of that. Um, but she's got other things going on as well, and there's quite a sort of strong gothic theme to her work. Mm -hmm. And she liked to paint um, young, like little girls, tiny little kind of wearing Victorian kind of clothes, and there's a period in her mm -hmm. life when she was painting a lot of those. And what are her dates? She was born in 1910, and she died in 2012. Wow. Yeah, she was mm -hmm. a long, long time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so this would have been, she was living in Sedona, um, Arizona in, I suppose, the 1940s with Max ah. Ernst. Extraordinary. Ah. So the piece I'm writing about is called Self-Portrait 1944. So there's the date for that one. 
Um, and it's, it's an amazing, it's in a gorgeous canvas. Mm. So it's like a, a vista, kind of a landscape of, of um, you know, the, the, what do they call them? Those mezzas or something, you know, the big mm -hmm. kind of... Um, the raised ground. Yeah, the, yeah. The, you know, the canyons and stuff mm. like that. But they're not, they're not, she hasn't done it in kind of red. There's nothing arid about it. It looks mm. almost like um, underwater, mm -hmm. right? And then she's depicted herself in the portrait. She's tiny, it's a little girl. And she has her back to us, you know, in, in the kind of Rukun figure kind mm. of tradition. And it kind of, of course, it, it makes you think of the Casper the Frederick one, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in a way. Up on his blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His yeah. version of a major. His version is, is, then is that oh. thing of, absolutely. And hers is yeah. very different. Mm. It's much more female. It's, it's, it's kind of um, channeling into the, a kind of a female experience. And that, that amazing feeling when you're, when you're a young girl and you're on the cusp Mm. of womanhood mm. and that's what she that's what she kind of explores so so wonderfully in her work the violence and the excitement and the dread of what it feels like to be and your body's just beginning to mm -hmm. sort of you know bumps are kind of appearing and yeah. you know and then you start bleeding and it's all it's very gothic in yeah. a way you know and yeah. she and i've been thinking about that i've been thinking mm. about because i've been meditating on her work quite a lot and reflecting on it mm. thinking about about childhood and and that cusp that amazing cusp and she she depicts thresholds very very well and she was mm. very interested i suppose as surrealists were generally mm. Between the dream world and reality and that kind of mm. stuff so for me it's been a really interesting experience writing about her work and thinking about that and thinking about my own childhood and when i used to stand i used to love to stand behind the curtain at home mm. we had at the bottom of the dining room um a thick uh, green velvet curtains mm. in the winter they got mm. kind of changed in the summer to kind of lace panels but and, the, and then you know this time of year the, the green velvet ones would get put up and it was kind of exciting because mm. i'd slip in then behind them mm. and I, you'd get told off like don't be touching the window with your grubby you know all that yeah. kind of stuff but i used to love standing there and looking out at night mm. into the dark mm. now we only had like a little garden mm. um but there were you know conifers and it was the kind of the hedgerow at the bottom, and yeah. it was dark, and I loved looking out into the darkness. For a moment, I feel like the conifers that you're you know, looking yeah. yeah, I can I see love, you looking you know, out. They I were there. <laughs> and you'd see something swoop into them, and you knew the swing was packed away underneath it, you know, just shoved in. And, yeah. and I used to love just looking out. Hibernating. And I'd, yeah. And, and I'd see, you know, I'd see things. I'd, so many I'd things. see, I think I'd see, you know, wolves and fireflies mm. and mm. just things in the air, you know. And mm. I always remember kind of coming back out and standing there feeling as though I must look different in some way, that I'd been sort of transformed. Mm. And everyone would just look and go, would you get in and there's I a draft, you know? And you'd be like... Would you get in, would you stop? <laughs> and I mean, you'd feel like you, you should have looked differently, you should be sparkling in some way. But if we had been stopped, we wouldn't have been able to live. Did they not realise that this activity, standing behind the curtain, was the most essential thing? Yeah. Do you have a mother to praise or blame? that has anything to do with your writing, do you think? Oh, I don't think so. Ah. Uh, no. You're the first of 12. Oh, really? To disavow. Oh, I feel, I feel bad now. No, no, don't feel... feel she was you, very sporty. My mum was really sporty. She was very athletic. Are you sporty? No, I was pretty hopeless. She was like a sprinter. She was amazing. All right. She was, um, she was a sprinter. My mother was and a sprinter. And she did hurdles as well. God. She was really fast. My parents were really young. Um, when I was, you know, born, and so I remember them being very, you know, I had a very physical 
um, upbringing. Mm. It wasn't particularly booky or cerebral. Or but she was like very that. busy hurdling and sprinting, and so she didn't have time in Philip yeah. Larkin's phrase to fuck you up. But too she bad. she read to me. She read to me some great stories. But you didn't like this. Well, I mean, you I found did. that threatening. Not, not threatening. I feel like you're a psychiatrist. No. Like, but you yeah. find that threatening. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, isn't it? <laughs> I was no. listening. No, not threatening. No, alarming. Unsettling. Unsettling. But in, in an good, exciting way. It's, it's exciting way. to be unsettled. Don't you find it exciting? Like Earth needs to be unsettled in order to yeah, exactly. be fruitful. And she loved it. And there was one story in particular. I don't know why she loved this story. And she, even when I left home and came back, she'd say to me, oh, okay, let me read you Big Claws and Little Claws. Oh. She loved that story. And I'd be like, Mom, no, I'm going out. And she'd follow me into the bathroom. I'd be getting ready, you know, and she'd follow me in and she'd read me Big Claws and Little Claws. Now that you're, you know, a fully fledged, self-possessed, grown person. Mm. Is there any disruption, you think, that actually broke something? And do you ever, do you ever feel that this, something that's broken that needs to be fixed could be actually the purpose of writing? That you're putting the world back together after some sort of explosion in your childhood? You don't feel that, maybe? Oh, yeah, I do feel like you're my shrink. Mm. Um, it's gone well, there, isn't it? We, we, we could reverse a little bit, <laughs> if you prefer. Um, Who is the person, do you think, might have prompted you? Did anyone prompt you in the direction of writing? Did anyone, this grand, the grandmother or...? I, I don't know, really. I don't... Um, I, no. I, don't, I, think, I think that was the whole thing about it, was that it was just completely, completely private and, no, and nobody's kind of business. Hmm. And I didn't even... I don't think I even thought of it as being something of, you know, of, of necessarily of value particularly. Mm. Um, I think one of my teachers at, at school um, kind of picked up on it and was quite encouraging. Mm. And then um, he wanted to know whether I have more, more. Oh, that's right. He read, a, he read something that I'd written in the back of, a, of an exercise book. Mm. I don't know what he was doing. Mm. Looking in the back of my exercise oh, indeed. actually. Now that we but think he, of it. Yeah, I was having a bit of a look about anyway and kind of came across something. Mm. Oh yeah, that's right. And then he asked me if I had more stuff. And I didn't really, but I kind of liked him. I had a bit of a crush on him. Yeah. So I said, oh yeah, I have. So I kind of like wrote, you know, wrote stuff. Wow. You would so, be the first writer to do that. So... For an quite, archive, people like doing it. handwritten, they're very valuable. So I've got you, well, I've got, I mean, all my stuff's handwritten really. Mm. And, um, and I gave it him. And what I liked, the, idea, the thing that I liked actually, when, when I gave it to him deliberately on, on a Friday, because I liked the idea of him taking it home, and I liked the idea of my work being in this house, and then he'd come back and give it to me on Monday, and I'd just mm. think, oh, it's been... And then I liked it if there was like a mark from his like coffee cup on the paper. <laughs> I didn't really care what he thought of it. I just liked the feeling that it was in his... Because I quite fancied him. So yeah. it was to do... Yeah, it was to do with... It was kind of to do with that, actually, as well. It's kind of weird. I think that's... Probably the most truthful answer I've heard. <laughs> Do you? It, what, you write because we fancy someone. Make sacrosanct, <laughs> so sacrosanct, the impossible <laughs> love that you have for a teacher. Let me ask you, can I ask you a technical question? Right. And maybe it's right. a bit out of the blue. And we might even finish on. But um, on page 140, I think, mm, okay. in Pond, yeah. um, you, the, the text suddenly, it's not that it breaks up. Yeah. But it becomes, and I was wondering, I, I think you know the passage I'm referring to. Yeah. I, I was just wondering how you, just because I want to steal it, how did you make that? Um, and the, my question would be, it, it, was it from fragments that you put together or did you have a text that you sundered and broke up and attacked? 
or did or did you write it actually sequentially like that in those um, unfitting but somehow strangely fitting sentences? Yeah, I know the, the bit you mean. Mm. It's at the end of um, when yeah, the gloves yeah. are off. It's I only think. two th and a half pages, isn't, isn't it? it? And she's and she's in the in the garden. And she's kind of mm. clearing it up, mm. and she, then she gets really annoyed because she's mm. like, "Oh fuck the flowers! I want to get into the mm. into the earth or something. I want to mm. see it." Mm. I want to see bare earth and then there's that bit where the yeah the language kind of changes mm. so that was like yeah that again that kind of I don't know if I say it like, you know catonic is that how you say it you know like the inside of the soul rather than the top of it um so that's what I, I kind of want but anyway so that bit I'd written I'd written that um sort of you know previously ah. separately mm. and this is this is the thing um that you, you, I, I kind of have to do it, and it, it's really difficult actually. Is that you then after you've got so I've got all this like stuff, and then and then weirdly quite unusual sort of they'll, they'll move towards each other, hmm. and I I just thought well that that absolutely just goes there at the, that that is under the ground that piece is about being under the ground really, hmm. and it is a different language because there would be a different language. Yeah, there would be a different rhythm and, mm -hmm. and syntax underground, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I've always had this idea, actually. A sort of ruin, in a way. Yeah, yeah. An attack. Yeah, mm. and it's shaped differently, of course, mm -hmm. because it's, I mean, it's just different um, conditions under there, right? Yeah. And, and so I've always kind of had the idea, I've always had this sort of, I suppose, just fascination with underground, like underground. You know, I've rarely talked to a writer about their actual work, but I have to okay. say this is... It is a consuming book to read, uh, and for instance, that bit that I asked you about, you do go quite crackers. If it's two a.m. in the morning, you're reading it in bed, you do go a bit mad for about two pages, because it has that effect on you. Oh, it puts you? you underground, which yeah. is a good thing. Yeah, uh, it's been it actually has been an immense privilege talking to you. Yeah, like it's given me sort of joy. Good. And and, and and I thank you, Fair Louise. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>